welcome back to another episode of Sales with Aslan, your weekly therapy session for those who sell for a living and those who help those who sell for a living. And we have someone who helps those who sell for a living on the line today. Wow, Stephanie Boyer from Bryant University. I don't think we've ever had a live and in-color working professional professor on this show. Really? So we have people that dabble in the moonlight in that regard, but um, you are an actual real-life professor. This is so cool. I'm so happy to have you. Welcome above. Welcome, Thank welcome you. Aboard. Thank you. Thank you. It's so great to be here. What an honor to be the first of my kind. Of your kind. Yes. Well, absolutely. And we're going to get into so many fun subjects today. But first, there is something cold, frosty, and refreshing in front of you. And I am so curious. It, it sort of looks like a beer, but is it? That's a good question. So I'm double fisting today. I have water just okay. to keep me balanced. But then I also have, it's called Alosa. It's hard kombucha. And it's ginger lemon, gluten-free, live culture. So it's, you know, it's alcohol, but it's also good for you. Oh it's healthy. Goodness. It's got healthy a bite. alcohol. 6.5%. What is it? 6.5%. Holy smokes. Okay. Well, you are off to a great start and, and healthy. I love that. Um, I am going to join you, but this is a more traditional beverage for the show. I have a Sam Adams lawn chair lager. Uh, refreshing and bright. It is four and a half percent. We track IBUs on the show. So it's 14 IBUs, which as my listeners will know, that will hit right in my sweet spot because it gets much north of 25 and it starts to get a little too hoppy for me. So I will be enjoying this Sam Adams uh, lawn chair lager today. Great. Looks good. <laughs> Great packaging. I love the can. Yeah. I got a variety pack of the Sam Adams Summers and they are a blast. Um, I forget some of the other ones. The Porch Rocker, I think is one. There's a Beach Ale. Um, so I've been rifling through those on the show and they are very good. But Stephanie, welcome. We're so happy to have you. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background, You know how you got into uh, your line of work. Sure, well, I am a sales professor now, but I didn't always think when I was young, I wanna be a sales professor. I did all kinds of different things. Um, even was a firefighter. I worked in U.S. Customs. I sold financial services. I tried a bunch of different things. When I was in college, I was training really hard, uh, throwing the javelin. And I thought for sure I wanted to be a javelin coach. And uh, so then I, I ended up hurting myself and the career didn't really go the way that I wanted. I was great. I was doing really, really good. Um, but then I had a back injury and it was a career ending injury. And so here I am studying psychology and criminology. And um, I realized I don't know anything about business. And I thought, you know what, I need to take an MBA because I thought Dow Jones is just like this man who gives people money. And I'm like, <laughs> I need to get in on this. I don't know how to do it. So I decided to study that. And I found um, a great group of professors and they were in marketing and sales. So I decided, I decided to get my PhD. And uh, I started working on a project on how to train people more effectively in sales for my dissertation. And I completely fell in love with sales. And I realized that sales was such an integral part of my life throughout my entire life. And it just all came together in this epiphany. And uh, so that's the direction that I went. I, I went on to now running the sales program at Bryant University in Rhode Island. 
And we're, and as a fellow Rhode Islander, we are so proud of our state and our universities up here. And Brian is one of the crown jewels. So thank you for your service in that industry, molding the young minds of tomorrow. And, you know, back when, when we were kids and coming into our decisions of what we wanted to major in, sales wasn't really a major back then. I, I don't remember any schools I applied to having a sales major, but as a communications major, broadcasting was my preferred direction, but that's another show. Mm -hmm. Um, I did find that my personality and some of my skills lent themselves to a selling career. So that is where I wound up. I'm curious, what kind of kids come into the school looking to become professional salespeople? Not a lot. Not a lot. Come in thinking because, you know, their parents are often the ones sending them to school and their parents aren't usually thinking, I'm going to send my kid to school to learn sales there's still this idea that you don't need a degree to be able to sell. You can do that without education. And that's absolutely true, but you're not going to do it as well. So usually what happens is the kids come in and they might study marketing or really they can study anything. And then we try to get them involved and take the sales class or join the sales club. And then they realize they actually are really skilled at selling. And so they go from not really being that interested or not even having that in their consideration set to realizing that they're great at it or just understanding that most of the jobs out there are sales related. So when people start to realize that it's a big part of life, then they, they start to embrace it. But so many students end up in sales related jobs. It's so smart for them to study it in, in college. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And we've, you know, we've promoted a few books on the show before. Um, and one of the ones that we've talked about uh, at length is, um, you've probably heard of Daniel Pink's To Sell is Human. Have you read that book? I have. Yeah. And, and, you know, this idea, and this is a little bit, we talk about at Aslan, which is, we'll get to that in a minute, how you and I met. But um, the idea of influencing people, no matter what profession you are in, is part of what we all have to do. So in essence, every human is a salesperson. So is that something that kind of comes out when you're, when you're recruiting and teaching uh, our future salespeople of tomorrow? Oh, it sure does. It sure does. And I mean, that is where that passion came into play was I realized that sales is a fundamental part of life. Whether you're a doctor, a nurse, a police officer, a lawyer, a parent, and you want to get your kid to eat their vegetables, it doesn't matter you need selling skills and having selling skills also helps you to be a better buyer as well. No, it's a great So point. you need it every day of your life, selling yeah, skills. You're reminding me, I think one of your um, TED Talks that I saw was, wasn't it about you teaching your children or getting <laughs> influencing them to eat their vegetables? Wasn't that part of what? That was the beginning. That was the beginning line. And I told my son because he likes to eat ice cream and not vegetables. And so I was like, if I could tell your story, then we'll eat ice cream on a regular basis. <laughs> so he's like, okay, mommy, you can tell him. <laughs> but it, well, no, it, so that it was all about, you know, how do you get what you want? And it was using elements of the sales process and different fundamentals to understand how you can really achieve that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's exactly what it's from. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, I, I want to take a little bit of a right turn because um, you and I, when we were prepping for the call, talked a little bit about, you know, um, selling as a profession goes back centuries. Um, but selling for women has been something um, that's kind of evolved, you know, more recently. And, and women in selling, women in sales leadership positions is something I know you're very 
uh, proud of your efforts. Uh, and I wanted to give us a chance to talk a little bit about that. How did, how did that come about? And what are some of the things you've seen and done to sort of uh, highlight and, and spotlight women into higher positions within, within companies and sales professions? Sure, sure. I mean, and that's a big part of that passion yeah. is that when you teach someone sales, since it's a big part of their life, um, you're empowering them. You're empowering them to be a better communicator and to go after with confidence the things that they want. So what I notice when the women come into the sales program, they're usually thinking like, oh, I don't know if sales is for me. I'm not really sure. And they're lower in confidence, but they're really high in empathy. They're authentic and they're they're just terrific listeners. Um, so the women, when we have these sales competitions internationally, nationally, all the schools get together, typically you see women winning the competitions. Women are all finalists. Women are predominantly semifinalists. You know, you might have 80% or more of the people in semifinals, they're all women. So the women are just like so much, they're so much harder on themselves mm. uh, than the men are and they lack confidence. But if you can help the women to learn to think on their feet with confidence, then the sky's the limit because they can just really listen, adapt, connect, and care for other people. Yeah. Um, and so I was the guest editor for the Journal of Selling on a special issue that they had called Women in Sales. And we talked about a lot of those issues that women have that are a little bit different from what men have. And for sure, there's a huge gap in leadership. Yeah. So you might have a ton of women that are starting to come into sales, but they're at that lowest level of sales. But there's also research that shows when you have women as that director, or that manager that's in charge, everybody on the sales team, the men and the women, minorities, everybody is elevated. When you have the man as the director of sales, typically what ends up happening is the men perform better than everybody else. So mm. I thought that was really interesting. You know, what is it? We don't understand exactly what's happening, but we do see a significant difference in the performance of all when you have a female sales leader. Hmm. That is interesting. Now, I've, I've actually not seen that research or heard that research, but that does make sense. Um, t tell me a little bit more about I'm very curious about, so, so women are, I, I wrote down not as competitive or lack confidence, and yet they, they have some of those listening and empathy skills. So, so how does that translate into that success and how do they become competitive uh, enough to win these competitions you're talking about? Cause that's, that's right. really interesting. Is no, just women, the opportunity? Yeah. women are competitive. Yeah. They're very competitive. And I think that's the challenge. They're so competitive that if they feel that their skill isn't enough, then they say, well, you know, maybe that's not for me. And gotcha. so when they start to learn, it's that confidence that they need to, to gain. Um, so if you can give them the confidence, then they, they say, I can win this. Yeah. But usually the women are just so hard on themselves. You know, if they see a career position, if they don't check all the boxes and then some, they don't even want to apply for it. Whereas yeah. if a man will see that, even if the man sees like, you know, 70% of the criteria, he's checked the boxes, then he's like, oh, I'm a perfect fit for this. <laughs> so he, and, and, that, and so we need to get that confidence in women because when you post a job description, it's okay if there maybe not every single box is checked, maybe you have something else to offer that wasn't really considered there. So for women, they need to do a lot of practice 
lots of role plays. That's really, really important. Um, and then doing adaptability training. I found it actually helps men and women. So for the men, adaptability training, improv training, it helps to get them more empathetic. And for women, it helps to give them more confidence, just thinking on their feet and adapting. It's so funny because for those that listen to the show, which is a, a lot of sales reps, but also sales leaders that, that we have, um, the word role play gets a dirty, dirty look. I mean, people just do not love the idea of, you know, faking, you know, uh, an interaction, right? And, and I remember this, but you probably remember back when we all started in sales and the role plays were the way to do it. But I know you've got, you know, different ways that you leverage technology as well as face-to-face -to, -face to do role plays. Tell us a little bit about the importance of the role play, but also some of the methods for, for actually doing role plays to, to improve. Sure. Role plays give you confidence. So that way, how are you supposed to know if you're just a student in college and you've never had this customer facing role, how are you supposed to know how you react when the customer pushes back on you? Um, so you've got to test out those scenarios so that the student at least knows what it's like to be in that conversation where you're getting some pushback or, you know, usually when students first go into a sales meeting, if they're not trained, they think that they're pitching a product and that's it. So they'll go into the sales meeting and then they think that they're on Shark Tank and then they just go <laughs> pitch everything that they need to say instead of understanding that there's this whole process and you need to understand what your client needs and ask the right questions to get them to explain to you. Uh, what the problem is, is helping them to think a little bit differently about their situation and understanding that they can help. But otherwise, when they first start, everybody wants to just go in and talk the entire time. Yeah. So you've got to do the role plays. You have to teach the process. And it's a little bit challenging in the classes because when the students get started, they don't know how to be a buyer and they don't know how to be a seller. And so they're kind of like, oh, what do I do? What am I supposed to say here? Uh, and the, so we created a technology to be able to help with that. Uh, and it's called Rainmakers. It's a AI tool. The mm -hmm. students download it on their phones. And instead of having a conversation with me or a student in the class, they're talking to Alex, who is an artificially intelligent customer bot. And Alex is listening, adapting, responding. They just push the microphone button and they talk. And you know, Alex is going to respond. And they have this 15-minute sales conversation. And at the end, Alex comes back and they get all of this feedback. So they get told, you know, when you're opening the call, you need to have this professional introduction and create a friendly environment. And so he goes through the whole process with them of what they need to improve. So what we've noticed is in my classes, if I told students, go do a role play, mm -hmm. they will go literally do a role play. And I can get them to do maybe four or six role plays in class at the end of the semester that they've submitted to me and now I have to review them. But now that we've created the AI tool, now I've got students doing 20, 40, 60, 70, 80. I had several students that did over 100 role plays this semester. I had one student, John, who did 350 role plays. So, I mean, he knows the sales process cold. So what they're saying is when they have this interface with the bot, they feel more comfortable because they don't feel like they're being judged, even though they're literally being judged, being judged. <laughs> by the bot. And then what happens at the end when you integrate technology 
is the students get their score and it's a readout and it shows them and there's a little information button that they can click on and it'll tell them how do you improve this so not just like what was your score it was what do you need to do better you know what do you need to improve so um, now the students are empowered with this technology they're able to get the feedback and at the end when they're done looking at that feedback it says quit or it says play again yeah and the students are doing doing five or 10 role plays in one session instead of doing one role play a week i have students that do five or ten role plays in a day or at least you know a couple sessions a week where they're doing five or ten role plays so the students are getting so much more training and practice because they have the technology it's It's amazing what technology it it really is because you mentioned you were an athlete and and what happens with athletics is practice makes perfect but somehow when we talk to about our profession in this case, selling, that that doesn't apply for some people, but a role play is just another way to practice toward, you know, mastering your craft, which is the tagline of our podcast, master your craft, craft beer. Um, <laughs> no, the craft of selling. So the whole, the, this whole, this is fascinating that you've, you've figured out a way to do this through um, kind of a non-invasive and less, um, I guess less scary for some people because there's it not is. an actual human there that's judging me. It's a, it's a bot and maybe my professor later. I love that. That's so, that's such an interesting uh, angle. Do you still have any people that are doing real life face-to-face role plays or is the bot totally taking that over? No, we're, we're doing that. So at the university, we have this whole competition that is face-to-face or, you know, this past year it's been on Zoom or WebEx. Mm-hmm, so we mm-hmm. have that whole part of it and we have Rainmakers happening at the same time. So my students are doing a ton of role plays, but what's happening is they're ramping up so much faster and they're having much better conversations with real people because now they know the sales process cold because they're doing so many role plays. Once they've hit like 70 role plays, they know exactly what they did wrong in the role play. They might even realize it as it's happening and they're like, oh, I forgot to do this. <laughs> I forgot to say this thing, yeah. but they just know it. And yeah. so they're applying it so much when they're actually having those um, deeper level conversations with the actual human beings from companies often who are trying to recruit them. They understand, you know, when you're asking discovery questions, you have to get at, you know, what happens if they don't figure this out in six months or a year and what happens if they do. So they're able to get more depth in the conversation than just hearing, oh, there's a problem. Here's my solution. Now they're like, oh, there's a problem. What's the impact? What's the future impact? What's the impact if it's solved? Do you really want to solve that? Like they're getting into that depth, which I wasn't able to tap into for everybody. I always had a few students that were really good. Now everybody's getting that little boost up. That's great. That's great. Well, and I want to bring us, uh, bring us home with, a, with the following topic, which is how you and, he, you and I first met, which was you, you attended a, a conference we were at and you, you and I chatted offline. Actually, it was literally online <laughs> in, a, in a chat room uh, at the conference about the concept of other-centered selling. So I want to kind of talk about, you know, we've talked about the plumbing of how to get people better and the practice makes perfect. But I think we agree that a, that a, a methodology or a, or a transparency of motive is an important part in any seller. And that's this other-centered attitude where I put my client's needs ahead of my own. And if I'm asking all my questions and my discovery is built on me 
trying to uncover what's bothering them, what the problem they're trying to solve, and maybe my solution will help them solve that. Now I'm in a much better place. So just talk a little bit about, you know, what caught your eye about our other centered selling methodology and how that applies even in the, in the school uh, that you teach at. Well, I loved it because you totally get it. Right. It's, you know, you, you absolutely get that selling isn't about you. It's about your customer. It's about what they need, what they want, what they're going through, that you're not trying to push a product on them that because you just want to meet your sales objective, that if it's not the right product, you're okay to say that because you want to build that trust. You want to build the relationship and it's really all about the customer and it just totally aligns with what we're doing. And that's how we're trying to get more people to come into sales because it's not, it's not having that weird agenda of just trying to get what you want. It's really about helping people. And what I've noticed, especially with women, but a major trend for students that are coming through my sales program is they want to go into sales because they want to help people and they want to make a difference and they want to make an impact. And you can't do that by having a really sleazy sales process or sales agenda. Um, and so you just, you got it that it's about the customer and if you can make them happy, if you can help them, then you're going to, you're going to be successful. You're going to make the money. You're going to, you know, have this loyal customer for life because they know that you have their best interest in mind. Yeah. Well, as, as much as we like the movies about selling, um, many of them paint us in a really bad light. I mean, yes. the, the Wolf of Wall Street, the, uh, the Boiler Room, the Glen Gary, Glen Ross, which is more, you know, Many, many years ago. Um, but, but all those movies paint as, you know, it's all about the sales rep. And I think what you and I agree on, and I'm glad to see you're teaching the youth and the, and the future salespeople of tomorrow, it's really not, it has nothing to do with the sales rep. It's all about the customer. And if, if our motive is transparent, which we believe it is, the, 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 the customers will see through it anyway. So why not make that decision to try to solve problems and help people? I like that. Selling is helping people. Um, why not do it that way? It's more fulfilling. And I think it's a lot more successful. That, that's absolutely comments? right. No, I mean, you, you, you've got it exactly right. And I mean, at the end of the day, we feel like our students that are coming into our programs, they become our kids, right? We get to know them really well. Yeah. It's like, we're kind of fostering them for a short time and we want to send them off so that they can have happy lives. Like if they see their customer at the grocery store, they want to say hello to them instead of hide behind the shelf because they sold them some kind of bad product that they didn't need. <laughs> so you just keep that mentality of trying to help do the practice, put the time in. I know it's really hard for a manager to take the time to do the role play and the coaching, but students today that are graduating, they want mentorship. They want growth. They want to get better. They will be loyal if you give them a good opportunity. So just invest in your people and make sure that they're confident and they're getting the skills that they really need. That's excellent. She's Stephanie Boyer. She's been a treat to have on the show and it really enjoyed the time. Thanks so much for joining guys. Get out there and share the podcast with your friends. This is for you. We want to get this to as many people as we can download and subscribe and we'll see you in another week. On-